welcome to a grad chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's A Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs, as well as CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if you may miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, CFRC Podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I would like to introduce you to Kenneth Gemmerer, who is doing a PhD in education under the supervision of Dr. Thashika Pillay. Welcome to Grad Chat, Ken. Thank you, Colette. Very excited to be here today and to have this conversation with you. Well, it's interesting, Ken, and I, and I kind of jumped on Ken at one stage because I saw in the Gazette recently that you got a special recognition by the International Development Research Centre, which made me realise the kind of work that you're doing. Can you give me a bit of background on what is the International Development Research Centre and why they were so interested in your work? Yeah, so um, the International Development Research Centre is um, a Canadian government institution that promotes research connected to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Um, they work with Universities Canada and um, they've, they've developed the International Doctoral Research Award, which um, specifically provides funding to students across Canada who are conducting research within the Global South. Um, so the International Development Research Center funds these students um, throughout their fieldwork within the Global South. And um, my supervisor shared the opportunity with me and I looked into it and I saw it fits the kind of work I am currently doing at Queens. And so I put in an application and um, luckily I was one of the um, 24 PhD scholars across Canada who were given this award, yeah which is absolutely fantastic because we all know if you can get some more funding um, grants in, it certainly helps you both in your research and, and living and things. So you can concentrate more in your research. That's the main one of the main things about it. But also that recognition that you've got for the research that you're doing. So congratulations on that. And I know, you know, Queens were lucky. We got two out of those 24. So uh, hats off to both you and Erin. So that that's that's pretty awesome what i'd like to also ask you now though is because you're working on sort of international work so to speak uh, you're from ghana so you are an international student here what made you want to come to canada and and queens in particular to come and do your research as opposed to perhaps staying at home mm-hmm. yeah so i worked as an educator um, in ghana i taught science in secondary schools across two different regions in Ghana. And when I worked as an educator, I realized the need to um, upgrade my skills and knowledge. And I became particularly interested in education policy. So I pursued a master's in education policy and international development at the University of Bristol in the UK. 
And while doing my master's studies, I was thinking about going for a PhD. And I was looking at universities that have professors who understand the context of the research I'm doing and also provide their student support to go through the PhD process. So um, I looked at Canada because um, I am also interested in comparative um, international education, which is like comparing different educational systems coming from Ghana, which is obviously in Africa, going to the UK, in Europe. I was also thinking about what does it look like in North America? And Canada seemed to um, have attracted me at the time because of, of, first of all, um, the various benefits and opportunities that international students get while studying in Canada. And also I have colleagues who have studied here. So I was like, yeah, then let me look into these um, universities. I started with um, Google searches and I saw Queen's University and I was like, okay. I looked at the Faculty of Education and I could see that the professors over there um, were doing something that relates to my work. So I looked at Dr. Pile's work and also their research specifically in the African context was very interesting. Therefore, I decided to contact Dr. Pile. And luckily for me, she was very happy to supervise my work. That's why I came to Canada. But specifically Queens, I see Queens as a very prestigious university in Canada. And also I have read about some alumni who went on to do great things, even in the Faculty of Education. So I saw Queens as a good fit. Also, the university is interested in advancing sustainability. So that also attracted me and I came to Queens. And um, since then, I've been very, 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 very excited being here and learning. That's fantastic, Ken. And, you know, that's really good reasons for choosing an institution because as much as we'd like everyone to come to Queens, it, we're not always the right fit. And it was it's interesting to hear you, you know, even though you started off with a Google search, you found here at Queen's there was that fit for you. So it's really good to have you. So let's let's go on and talk about your research. And, and your research topic is examining the role of African knowledge systems and pedagogies in decolonizing STEM education in Ghana. Can you give me a bit of background and context of the educational landscape in Ghana today? to make you want to even want to think about this this topic? Yeah, so when you look at the education in Ghana, basically former education in Ghana started off around the 1500th and due to the engagement of Europeans at the time, mostly European merchants started delivering former education in Fort and Castles at the time. So that was called the Fort and Castle Schools. But that kind of education was limited to only a selected few um, of the natives. And this group of people who had access to that kind of formal education were parents of prominent merchant chiefs and queens within the country at the time. But later on, education moved from the fort and castles across the different regions in the country. And having gained independence in 1957, the system of education did not change that much. It still followed the British former educational structures. But um, being an educator in Ghana for almost um, six years, 
before coming to Queens, I realized that when it comes to teaching and learning of math and science specifically, the way knowledge is presented to students are not enough in the sense that they are not responsive to their immediate needs and cultural context. And there are different educational policies that have been implemented over the years to streamline STEM education in the country and even to help students develop interest in STEM. However, um, the two national education testing systems that we use, the West African Education, uh, the West African Senior School Certificate Examination, and also the Basic Education Certificate Examination. So the West African Senior School Certificate is a large-scale examination that all grade 12 students in secondary schools take and they use that as an entry requirement for um, higher education. Then the basic education certificate examination are taken by grade nine students to enter secondary education. So these are the key tests that students have to take and pass. But over the years, um, the West African Examination Council, their data shows that mathematics and science performance keeps dwindling. And even the Ministry of Education in Ghana their own um, internal evaluation shows that although elementary school students stay um, in schools for almost seven hours every day, they, they are not able to achieve minimum proficiency in math and science. So due to how students are getting this kind of phobia in math and science and policies are in place, but still we are not able to make better gains in these two subjects. I decided to look at this issue from a different context. So I became interested in looking at how the indigenous knowledge systems within Ghana and even the community ways of knowing could facilitate teaching and learning of math and science in a way that can address the various diverse needs of these students and also to help them make connections to this subject and not see them as something foreign, but but something that is actually part of them. So um, yes, the policy and educational contest in Ghana is currently specific in the sense that the government is looking at streamlining STEM education across all the levels of education. But um, there are still more to be done. And um, the system also is familiar. Um, like It's just uh, similar to the Canadian system. We also have um, a pre-kindergarten, then we have the K-12, to and we have higher education where we have universities and colleges, like which specifically provide certain key skills to students. So it's just quite similar, but then the delivery of teaching and learning um, is different when it comes to some aspects and some courses, yeah. So, so it's the curriculum that you're saying is needed changing. It's not that you don't have the expertise in Ghana, i.e. the right teachers to teach. It's just the curriculum is being prohibitive. Yeah, I think um, we need to look into the curriculum and also the pedagogies and rethink the way we can teach to support student learning because as it stands now, it is very theoretical. However, teaching and learning is not rooted in the experiences of students. And um, especially when we think about mathematics, 
we need to look at how we can guide or support students to make connections with their daily lives, with the things that they know, they see in their communities, to the topics that they learn, because there's that kind of mismatch when it comes to the knowledges that these students bring with them to school and the knowledges that educators teach them. So, yeah. That, that makes that makes much more sense, Ken, because I know myself, uh, I mean, I was actually quite good at math, but what made math easier is if someone could, as you say, correlate it to something I'm doing. So in my sense, it was a sport. So doing statistics and thinking it in, in the framework of the, the sporting context made much more sense to me than just having a statistic and, and then going, well, what does this mean? So it's that applied part, and, I've, and there was a there's a group here in in uh, at Queens. They used to run some summer camps for women in math, and they use exactly that sort of thing, Ken, where they brought in nature. You know, nature has a lot of math in it, and they sort of highlighted that to the students, and that was a much nicer way of learning about math and systems and things by using nature in in that sense. So I, I was noticing in some of the background that you've got here, you talk about changing the knowledge systems and the pedagogies to get away from, you know, well, basically decolonizing how STEM has been taught currently. With the work that you're kind of doing, how are you doing that? Are you going, have, have you... Are you talking to current educators in Ghana and saying, you know, what are your thoughts? Would you like to change the curriculum or the pedagogy style? Or, you know, what's prohibiting you from doing that, etc.? So how are you collecting your research to come up with something that can be used later? Yeah, I am currently using an African indigenous research methodology to generate data from educators. So I recently returned from Ghana. Um, I've completed my fieldwork. So mostly because I am trying to decolonize knowledge production, I adopted methodologies that these educators who are STEM, like mathematics and science educators in primary schools in Ghana, can relate better with. So I use this sharing circles or talking circle approach where I met different mathematics and science educators coming from two specific regions in Ghana, which are the Ashanti region and the Northern region. So through these sharing circles, I provided opportunities for these educators to reflect on their teaching practices, their pedagogies, and to think about how they can teach mathematics and science in a decolonial way. And through those conversations, the educators were able to share some of the practices that they even have taken up from their own indigenous um, ways of knowing and how that, according to them, can shape the way students learn mathematics and science. After these um, sharing circles, I also had one-on-one conversations with these educators to talk more about some of the things that they shared during the sharing um, circles. And that provided more insight in the sense that they were able to better share how they do this in practice and also to talk about some of the barriers or constraints that make it very challenging for them to decolonize their pedagogy. So what are some of those challenges that they're currently facing? Some of them talked about the lack of resources and also some of them talked about the 
fact that policies are very strict in the sense that you need to complete the curriculum object right, and, right. and because of that they tend to focus more on what the curriculum is asking them to do rather than to bring in these alternative ways of knowing and learning into the um, classroom because those tend to be more time consuming and others also talked about the colonial nature of education in Ghana and like I said um, there is a lot of Eurocentric ideas that our educational system has taken up and it makes it difficult for educators for policymakers to appreciate the rich knowledges that within the diverse indigenous cultures across Ghana so it is um, very difficult for these teachers to even look beyond curriculum expectations, but rather look at the indigenous practices within math and science that are still relevant for these kids. So most of those constraints were around policy, right. around the lack of teaching and learning materials and resources, and also time. Do you think one of the other barriers is assessment? I mean, the way we assess different courses or programs is often on a test or you know something that's actually I feel I've always felt even when I was growing up quite constraining because I'm not always sure that those assess the the usual assessments i.e the test sort of system is really testing mm-hmm. the the right the right thing the right knowledge that we're looking for and and I've seen this in other um, educational systems too, where the students and the teachers are just learning to pass the test as opposed to learning for learning's sake and being able to apply what you're learning to the context or the, the culture that you're actually living in. So do you think one of those barriers that's all part of this is the assessment approach, which is very colonial? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very true, and you are right on that. Um, some of the conversations I had with the educators, assessment came up a lot, and most of them talked about the root memorization, like mm-hmm. the way even learning is centered on ability to regurgitate what the educator shares rather than applying these knowledges in different ways. So one aspect of assessment that came up was the focus on cognitive or intellectual learning rather than looking at the holistic ways in which students learn. So how can we even assess socio-emotional needs of these students? How can we look at spiritual needs of these students? So some of the educators talked about how um, the test that they are asked to do tends to limit students. So they also thought about new ways of assessing students. And actually, I am co-creating a pedagogical framework with these educators. And there's a section on assessment. And they talk about how they can use assessment in a way that doesn't measure what educators want students to know, but then what students want to know for themselves. So um, currently with that co-creation aspect of it, and um, we will complete that by April. And I'll be very happy to share with um, you and other people who are interested in seeing how to decolonize the way we teach um, STEM and even how we assess knowledge. Give me an example of some of the traditional ways of teaching 
knowledge about the surroundings that these children are living in to help them learn to help them understand their environment better but also to help them if they want to go continue on in further education because whether we like it or not there are still milestones that have to be passed to be able to go to the next level because it's going to take a long time to change policies and things to change how that is so we want them to learn in, in a better way but there's still those barriers of but you're still going to have to pass this to move to the next mm-hmm. level. So, but can you give me a, an idea of some of what are some of those traditional ways that your colleagues would like to bring into the classroom today? Yeah, um, some of them talked about the use of language, um, the use of the local language in teaching um, right. math, for instance. Most of these educators mentioned that whenever they use the local language that the students know, the students become more interested in their teaching and learning activities and their engagement in the content also increases. And also um, they talked about the ways in which the use of these local languages in teaching make these students more confident in coming up. You know, so it tends to help these students to even think beyond what they are teaching and look at themselves as people who have knowledge, but then these knowledges are often hidden within their local language. So they talked about the need to vary their pedagogies when it comes to language usage, because in Ghana, English is the sole medium of instruction. But then these kids, most of them speak the local languages at home. So when they try to make those connections, it helps these students to um, look within their own cultures within their ways of teaching and learning to think about the concepts in a way that are more relatable. Another thing that the educators mentioned that um, I thought was interesting is the use of songs, the use of play, the use of rhymes in teaching science and math. And these educators shared examples of the local games that we have known over the years that um, developed some critical thinking in math and even that are connected to some of the topics that these students learn. So they talk about how educators can bring in these games because students by nature, especially kids, like to play. So yeah, moving from that rigid ways of teaching math to a more fun, joyful way of introducing them to these mathematical and science concepts through poems, through games, through play. So I thought that was also very interesting. And some of them shared they have been doing that and they see the difference that it makes in the learning of these students. Apart from that, the educators also talked about the need to use some of the indigenous scientific practices that these students already know and use that as an entry point to introduce them to some of the concepts that they learn. For instance, they shared examples of how distillation as a scientific concept could um, be very vague and be difficult for um, kids to comprehend. But then within their own cultures, the, the students know about distillation, but then they may not call it that way. But then they have examples of how brewing of a local gin in Ghana called Akweteshi uses that same scientific process of distillation. So building those connections, like 
making these students understand that, oh, within our culture, we may not see it as this, but then that is actually distillation. And you have been participating in that kind of learning. How do you bring that right. or transfer that into what you learn? So there were a lot of examples, even the use of toothbrush, like an interesting conversation came up when some of the educators mentioned that growing up, their mothers taught them how to use charcoal to uh, mix with some other substances to brush their teeth. But then this was looked down on because of the fact that people thought it's too traditional or it's too local. And they, they cite westernization as a cause of that. But then currently we see many companies like Colgate using that same charcoal and lemon idea to produce their toothpaste and people seem to like it. So they talked about how science is everywhere and how within their own indigenous practices, they understand issues around chemical reaction and all these things. But then we, the, our educational system do not place premium on these local ways of knowing, but right. rather focus too much on Eurocentric ideas. So they're also thinking about how can they highlight these things and change some of the perspectives even that policy makers and other educators have when it comes to indigenous science indigenous mass for instance it's brilliant and, and we often go back to what our ancestors used to do because those practices still work today in fact probably better because this thing of us getting more knowledgeable and new ideas and things they're actually not new ideas. They're just being put together in a different way. And so a lot of the times we need to go back to basics because the basics worked <laughs> in, in, a, in a lot of instances. So those are fantastic examples. And I know when you talked about bringing in song and rhyme, that's an easy way to remember things too. And like you said, with those connections. So what impacts do you hope your research may have, not just in Ghana, but is it what you're going to come and produce something that other countries can consider as well? I mean, it's not easy to change an educational system with all the politics and things that go into that. But are you hoping to bring forward a model that can be used both in Ghana and other places? Yeah, I think this is a very important question and it makes me reflect on what I want to contribute to changing with my research. So I am seeing continuous cause for the need to indigenize STEM education and also to decolonize it so that it can be more inclusive to diverse learners. Even in Canada, there are different institutions at Queen's, this studies is ongoing in different school boards. And I believe that although my research is within the Ghanaian context, there are some connections between even like how indigenous ways of knowing can shape teaching and learning of STEM, because we right. still have many um, groups who are currently underrepresented mm -hmm. when we think about STEM education. And one of the key studies have focused more on the inaccessible nature of the way we introduce these science and math concepts to students, especially when we think about Black students and Indigenous students. So I believe that integrating these Indigenous pedagogies and ways of knowing into STEM education is beneficial for um, not only Black and Indigenous kids, but also it offers additional insight and perspectives that are relevant for 
non-black and non-indigenous kids because we are thinking about a need to create multiple ways of seeing and knowing and we can only do that when we honor other ways of knowing and through that i believe that even here scholars who are doing stem education and interested in equity oriented stem teaching and learning can learn from some of the experiences of educators in ghana and also the co-creation element of my research i think is very useful because most of the time we talk about the need to decolonize STEM education, they need to bring in or integrate indigenous knowledges and pedagogies to support student learning, but we hardly see how it can be done, especially not from policymakers' perspectives, but also from teachers, the educators who are experts, who are always with these kids. So I believe that my pedagogical framework could also be useful to other educators, even in Canada or in the US or Nigeria or other African countries who are also thinking about decolonizing the way they teach STEM education and also to think about the value that indigenous knowledges and pedagogies can play in this kind of decolonization. I also believe that within the Ghanaian context, it will help policymakers to rethink the way they develop curricular objectives, especially on STEM education. I believe that the emphasis in Ghana and most African countries, since I do a bit of comparative education, is that we think of STEM education from the human capital lens. How can we get more people in jobs that can bring money to the economy? But then when we focus more on that, we tend to usually adopt Eurocentric ideas, which are great, but then may not fit the context in which they want to do that kind of work. And also they tend right. not to focus on how we can make these subjects accessible, inclusive, and relatable to these students. And in doing so, they end up causing epistemic injustice because the knowledge systems that these kids are born into, which are still relevant for their understanding of science and math, are discarded and are dishonored. And for us to go ahead, I believe that there's a need to have this kind of eclectic view when we think about yeah. um, teaching and learning of math and science. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, we're seeing it here, as you mentioned here at Queen's, when we're looking at a bit more experiential learning and bringing in Indigenous ways and, and, and not just being confined. So, yes, even at, um, you know, university level, we're all looking at how we can change some of these practices. So, um, you're clearly on, on a great track here. So thank you very much for sharing that. Before we go, though, I would like to ask you one more question. And it's the fact that while you're here, you are part of what we call um, it in our office here, you know, the PhD Community Initiative. And it hands up. It's fantastic that you decided to do this. And my understanding in the project that you're working with, of course, with other doctoral students, is um, examining how the city of Kingston can incorporate the UN Sustainable Development Goals into their policies and strategic frameworks. We know we've got a whole region and we've got a whole website now on just the SDGs and what Queens can do to that. So how are you finding this project? Because it's one thing at a university where we've got people who can do this and this. How are you finding so far what the city can do itself? I think, first of all, I would say it's a very fantastic project, and I encourage um, all PhD students to um, join this wonderful 
projects um, next year um, because the PhD community initiative also provides us an opportunity to do something practical and to do something that is more fun and exciting beyond like the straight academic work we do. And um, based on my experience working with my team on the SDG project, I've learned so much. It's provided me opportunity to meet different um, stakeholders um, at Queens and also at the city of Kingston and learn about some of their ideas in um, mainstreaming the UN Sustainable Development Goals in their policies and practices. So far, the project is going very well. We are getting to the reports. We will be writing our report this month, but I've learned so much. And right. I believe that um, based on some of the evidences that we've um, gathered through other cities and also even through the, the fantastic work that Queens is doing, because when we think about the SDGs, Queens is part of the top 10 universities globally who are um, showing how SDGs can be actualized. So um, gleaning from the different work that Queens is doing and also um, with our engagement with stakeholders, listening to them, their ideas about how they can um, actualize this, I believe that it is going to be very, very, very incredible um, work for the city because um, we are currently gathering like different colleges and also practical suggestions and recommendations that can help the city in engaging the people here and also to implement the SDGs in a way that is equitable and more human-centered. So far, we have got some wonderful recommendations, but then because it is not completed yet, I will not be able to share them, but I see a light at the end of the tunnel and I see a very right. big prospect um, especially for this city going forward because they are really committed to making this happen. And I'm looking forward to seeing how we as PhD scholars can play a part in this wonderful initiative. That is brilliant. And I really love these projects. So I can't wait for the capstone event when you all get to present the projects that you've been working on. So uh, I'm coming along to that. So I'll, I'll be able to find out what you did. We're able to, to accomplish on that, even though it's just a short, a short pro project. Ken, thank you very much for coming on to the show. Thanks for talking about your work because it is important of how our children learn today because things are changing and we need to keep working on that changing. But, but I think what you've highlighted too, not to forget our own cultural ways that how we can bring those into our learning experience too, as opposed to having a foreigner's input into how it, you know, it should be, relevant to wherever we are living in my opinion so thank you for doing that congratulations again on getting uh, one of the the grants from the international development research center that's fabulous as well it's really nice how it all fits in together so you've you're very um, topical right now what you're doing so so well done thanks very much for coming on the show thank you very much colette for this opportunity i'm very 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 excited to be here to share my work with the um, university 
community and also with the Kingston community, I believe that through this engagement, I will be able to connect more with other scholars who are interested in this particular work and hopefully join efforts and work together. Fantastic. Okay, then everyone, as we always say, another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download this show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or CFRC Podcast. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.